Hi guys, Leo Rizzuti here. Welcome to another episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. We're coming at you live tonight from about 500 yards south of the Ice Cube, formerly known as Lake Erie, in the beautiful city of Cleveland, Ohio. Hope you guys are staying warm and safe and out of the polar vortex that has apparently shut down the entire country. It's literally so cold that politicians are keeping their hands in their own pockets for a change. So there's some good stuff that comes out of it. And I also hear that even folks down in Florida are wearing jackets now. So let's be below 70 there. So great stuff all around, I suppose. But it'll be over with soon. At any rate, we've got some great stories lined up for you guys this week. Why don't we go ahead and jump right into those. Our first story tonight comes from Lynn, and she sent it to us entitling it A Haunted Life. Okay, Lynn, let's see what you got for us. My first experiences happened in my family's first house, which my family and I lived in until I was a sophomore in high school when the house burned down early one Christmas morning. The police and firemen could never say for sure what started the fire, but they believe it was either electrical, maybe from the lights on our Christmas tree, or from the candles that were left burning in wall sconces by the front door. Anyway, the house was built in the 1850s and went through several owners before my father's family moved into it. It used to be an apartment building with one apartment on the top floor and the other on the ground floor. My parents told me after the house burned down that it also used to be an undertaker's house and he stored the bodies in his basement. I often wonder if that had anything to do with my fear of the basement or if I was just afraid of the dark as many normal people were when they were very young. Anyway, my room was upstairs and was not really a room. It used to be the top floor apartment's kitchen. A short hallway from the stairs opened directly with no door into my room, and from my room one could access my parents' bedroom, my sister's bedroom, and the bathroom. Throughout my childhood, I insisted on having the bathroom light kept on and the door open as a sort of nightlight. I often heard footsteps coming up the stairs, much too loud and regular to be the house settling, as my parents claimed. It scared me, but I sort of got used to it. I also had a metal wardrobe whose doors often opened by themselves and would open again and again after I closed them. It spooked me out, but I never stopped to think about what might have been causing it. Also, the downstairs door that connected our kitchen to the garage opened on its own quite often, but only when I was in the room. My mom would jokingly say, oh, it's just a family ghost. She thought it was kind of cute. She didn't have any notion of belief in real ghosts or other spirits, and her ideas of incorporeal beings pretty much went only as far as Casper, the friendly ghost. The worst thing that happened in that house happened when I was in the third grade. I was upstairs playing in my room with some toys while everyone else was downstairs in the living room. My room had one window with plastic Venetian blinds. That night, the blinds were down. But as I heard a slight scratching noise coming from the window, I looked up to see the blinds opening by themselves. They slowly opened at a regular pace until they were fully opened. Terrified, I ran downstairs and joined the others. When they asked me what was wrong, I didn't tell them. They still don't know about the blinds. Up until the fire, I always felt uneasy sleeping at night and continuously heard the footsteps and dealt with the wardrobe doors. I felt strangely relieved when the house burned down. 
we tore that house down and had a nice, newer, prefabricated home placed on the same lot. In the new house, I was overjoyed to have my own real room, complete with four walls, a door, and a big, beautiful window that looked out into the yard. I thought that maybe my experiences would be better in this house. For the most part, it has been, except for a couple of disturbing encounters. Back in the old house, I experienced what I discovered later is known as sleep paralysis a few times. I was awake and could see, but I couldn't move or speak. It only happened a handful of times in about 15 years. During my senior year of high school, the sleep paralysis returned with a vengeance. I woke up and saw the clock, 3.33 a.m. My television was on as I always left it on at night because the noise helped me to stay asleep. But this time, I couldn't move at all. I couldn't even wiggle my fingers or toes or turn my head. I could barely breathe and I broke out into a cold sweat. I felt an extremely heavy weight on my chest and legs and the most suffocating fear I'd ever felt in my life. I was so scared I started to see stars and I felt like I would pass out. Eventually, after about 20 minutes of struggling, the pressure left me and I could move and breathe again. But the fear stayed with me the rest of the night. I could not fall back asleep until the fear finally abated the next night. That summer, I left for college a private Christian school in western Pennsylvania. I thought that, if anywhere, I could escape my paranormal past there, but I turned out to be very, very wrong. I loved my time in college. They were the best years of my life, and not even a few traumatic experiences would change that. Nevertheless, my spirits seemed to follow me there. About halfway through the first semester of my sophomore year, the sleep paralysis returned. My roommate was a stranger to me. I was stuck with him when a friend whom I planned on rooming with dropped out and his spot was filled with a freshman transfer. He slept on the top bunk and I took the bottom bunk. That night, I felt the most viscerally intense fear I have ever experienced in my life. Nothing before or after that could even remotely compare. I was so terrified my heart was fluttering, my skin was numb and wet with sweat, my thoughts were jumbled and incoherent and I felt like I was going to die. I could not move any muscle in my body, no matter how hard I tried. This time, I couldn't even open my eyes, and I felt that familiar weight pressing down on my body. But this time was different. My tormentors made themselves known. They spoke to me. There were three voices, a male voice at my right ear, a female voice at my left ear, and another male voice right in front of my face. I don't remember exactly what they said, but I do remember that the male voice on my right was saying hello to me in what sounded like a fairly normal voice. To my surprise, I said hello in return. I wasn't afraid of him. He had a normal voice and I felt like I had known him for a long time. I had struggled with depression for years and medicine had not helped. I thought now I might have been tormented by this spirit and his friends and they might have been the ones who had caused the footsteps, the opening doors, and the opening window blinds. But after I told him I didn't want him around anymore, all three started laughing at me and mocking me. They started talking to each other about me, about the failures, the bad choices, and mistakes of my life. This made me angry and I struggled harder and they laughed even harder. 
I managed to force my eyes open and turn my neck to the left where the female voice was coming from. I didn't see anything, but I forced my hand up and grabbed it where it sounded like her voice was coming from, and I felt her neck. It felt like normal skin, like a normal neck of a slim young woman. But they just continued to laugh at me louder and louder. Eventually, I couldn't take it anymore. I told them all to leave in the name of Jesus Christ. Right then, they all screamed, and as the screaming faded away, I regained control of my body and could breathe again. I lay there, still terrified, but eventually got out of bed and typed up what had happened. I didn't want to forget or wake up later that morning and think that it was a dream, because I knew I was awake and that it was real. I was shaking hard all over and my skin was slick with sweat and my eyes were blurry with tears. The clock said 5 a.m. I eventually told my family about the encounter and they wanted me to be tested for any mental problems, just to make sure. I saw a doctor and was tested for various problems like schizophrenia that might cause hallucinations, but the doctor found nothing and said that there was nothing wrong with me. The visitations mostly stopped after that, but once I was home on spring break, I woke up to a very loud crash that came from the living room kitchen area, the kind of noise that's so loud and abrupt that it jolts you out of even the deepest sleep. I got out of bed and went to investigate and saw the kitchen garbage can was on its side in the living room with all the contents scattered throughout the entire first floor of the house. This freaked me out because every night I put the garbage can on top of the table so that the dog couldn't get it and it's far too heavy for either the cat or the dog to move it at all, much less knock it off the table and drag it into the living room. Also, when I went back to bed, my room was not the way it was when I went to check on the noise. I saw that my nightstand and lamp had been moved. The stand is heavy wood with two drawers filled with stuff, and it's got a heavy lamp on top, way too heavy for any of our animals to move. It had been pulled out from the wall at an angle, and the lamp upon it was turned on and had fallen on the floor. I immediately suspected that it had been the work of spirits. After so many experiences in the past, I just couldn't kid myself or deny it. I simply replaced the nightstand and lamp where they should have been, read my Bible for a little bit, and went back to sleep. Another time, during the same spring break, my bedroom lamp turned itself on just as I was leaving the room one morning. I went and turned it off, but when I went to leave again, it came on again. Later that same day, I was home alone and reading a book in the living room downstairs. I started to hear a pawing noise from upstairs. You know, the kind of noise cats make when they paw at a door. Well, I went upstairs and opened the door into the bedroom from where the noise was coming from. There was nothing there. I just kind of stood there and furrowed my brow, wondering if it was what I thought it was. I closed the door firmly and went back downstairs. The noise happened again. I tried to ignore it, but it just kept going and it was driving me nuts. Not with fear, but annoyance. I was trying to read, thanks. I went back up and opened the door again, and again there was nothing. I closed the door hard and I took my book outside to read because I didn't want to deal with the noise again. It was then that I saw my cat come up and rub herself against me, and I realized it had been outside the whole time. The noises could have not been the cat. Those last experiences happened three years ago now, when I was a junior in college. 
Nothing has happened since, and I hope it doesn't again. But if it does, I now know the power in Jesus' name, and I won't be afraid to use it. While those experiences scared me at first, I'm not afraid of those spirits anymore. Wow, Lynn, that was an absolutely amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. It sounds like you had kind of the whole gamut of haunting experiences in between your house, the original one, and the newer one, and your time in college. Uh, it was kind of uh, cool that you shared that with us. Uh, your original house, the one in 1850, it was wild that you lived there and you guys didn't know or you, you didn't know that your parents had bought a house that had been an undertaker's home where they had kept the bodies there, which I suppose was a custom that they had years ago. I think of the film My Girl, where Dan Aykroyd's character is an undertaker and they keep the bodies there. So I suppose that was a thing that they used to do. I don't know that they do that so much anymore, but that would kind of put me on edge to know that my house was one where they had bodies in it at some point, right down there in the basement. It sounds like you had the kind of spirit that was attached, though, more to the property than the house itself, especially since the house burned down, which is kind of mysterious on its own. But then you guys put a new house on the same lot, and you ended up having not the same kind of uh, circumstances and experiences, but some other experiences. Uh, One of the things that you described having was sleep paralysis, which is a phenomenon that We see a lot with certain kinds of hauntings, and sleep paralysis has been studied quite a bit, and there are instances where people have gone into sleep paralysis with nothing paranormal going on. Your body literally shuts itself down, and there's a lot of theories out there as to why it does that, but one of the theories, probably the prevalent one, is that your body basically locks itself up so that you can't hurt yourself when you're sleeping. I'm not sure if that's accurate or not because I know that I move around whenever I sleep and I have experienced sleep paralysis before. So not sure how valid that theory is, but that seems to be the prevalent one right now. But in a lot of experiences that we find with negative entities, especially or more malevolent entities, you find sleep paralysis is really, really common and is used almost as a tool to taunt and terrorize their victims so to speak and it sounds like exactly like what happened to you but it seems like you found a great way to deal with it and you aren't worried about it anymore and you haven't had any activity in the last few years which is great so sounds like you are very well adjusted with that and again i do appreciate you sharing your stories with us thanks a lot our next story comes from amanda and she has titled it a lifelong experience. Okay, Amanda, let's see what you have sent to us. It started when I was 16, shortly after my mother and grandmother passed. They both passed away from terminal illnesses nine months apart. The house I grew up in was a very old farmhouse. The first odd things that started to happen were when I would hear knocks on the windows and knocks on the walls which I at first just dismissed as it being an old house. They continued off and on for a few months. My dog that I had at the time would stare at nothing and growl. I would walk into the kitchen and every cabinet door would be open. This happened several times over a year and a half. 
A few times, we had a ceiling fan that would spin and the light would flicker. Even though the fan was not connected to electricity, the wires were actually hanging down from it. I would be asleep in my room and I would feel something grab my foot. I would wake up and nothing was there, but it would be really cold. No one else experienced this since I was an only child and my father was rarely home due to his job. My father remarried and we moved and it seemed to stop other than still having my foot grabbed. Not every night, but a few times a month. While living with my ex-husband, I would constantly see a shadow move out of the corner of my eye. I would feel something watching me all the time. I never felt safe, and I'm a combat veteran, so it makes me feel a little silly to not feel safe in my own home. My husband and I got divorced, and I moved out. I felt a little better, but I still felt watched. Then a few months later, I was again feeling my foot grabbed every night for two weeks straight. I was at my boyfriend's house during those two weeks and not leaving there, just staying the night. I never said anything to him until we were sitting in his living room, talking about a recent argument I had gotten into with my father about some family issues. Suddenly, we both heard this hiss, but almost a growl coming from the corner like I have never heard before. It scared the crap out of both of us. The TV nor the radio were on at the time. Ever since that night, this feeling of being watched and the shadows out of the corner of my eye have gotten worse. We were in his garage smoking a cigarette, and when we returned inside, it felt as though someone was right behind me, and I couldn't get out of there fast enough. I didn't say anything for fear of being called paranoid until he told me the next day he felt the same thing. Now it doesn't matter what house I'm in, his or mine, I feel watched and threatened. I don't have a mental illness, nor does it run in my family. I just want this, whatever it is, to leave me alone. I could say that the frequency that these things have happened to me have always increased when I've had an argument with someone or have been upset. I have lived with this most of my life as I am now near 30. I never got really worried about it until it bothered someone else. I don't want him to have to deal with this too. Do you have any advice as to what this is and how to get rid of it? Thanks, Amanda. Whoo, Amanda. That was an incredible story and set of experiences that you sent to us. Uh, and I really appreciate you sending that to us. Let's see if I can address some of the things that you've got going on there. Obviously, the knocks early on, that knocks on the windows, knocks on walls, things like that are something we see as part of almost every classical haunting. It's usually right at the beginning. It almost is an announcement or a test of, hey, what's going to be the reaction of this? And uh, it's like the spirits are setting up for uh, maybe bigger action later on, but it's almost always the first thing that you hear. Never or very rarely do you hear uh, something just going full-blown into action. Usually it's knocks and scratches, things like that, that we hear. So that's that's pretty typical, and fortunately for you, that only lasted a couple of months. But then the cabinets opening and closing themselves, I'm wondering with that, because of your age, if that had been poltergeist activity, uh, specifically something that was being caused by other energies in the room, not just necessarily spirits, 
odd. Without us being there, hard for me to tell you that, but that's one thing that we see in those kind of cases. We also see that in classic hauntings, too. Going along with the knocks, things like that, it sounds like you were having pretty classic haunting experiences up to that point. And the the issue with your dog, uh, staring at nothing, growling, things like that, it is fairly well known that animals are pretty sensitive to spirits and to haunting activity. We do know that animals, specifically cats and dogs, see in spectrums uh, ultraviolet and infrared that we as humans can't experience. So it's very, very, very possible that they see things that we just don't see. I know we lived in a haunted home once and there was a spot that our cats would literally just stare at and paw at over and over and over again. So that's usually a sign that you've got something going on there. Of course, there could be other things going on. You could have critters in the walls, things like that. But if it's a dog specifically, a lot of times they won't sit there and stare at one spot like a cat will. Cats are kind of weird that way. (laughs) But um, the experience that you had with your dog, again, is a big sign that you had a fairly classic haunting, the growling is a little disturbing because usually animals will react in one of three ways. Either they'll be curious, which is usually what happens when you have classic hauntings, or they'll get very scared because they'll see something that is frightful enough that it scares them, and you'll see animals literally go run and hide under the bed, things like that. You won't be able to find them. You see that a lot of times in more extreme cases, and then you every once in a while see animals, uh, shouldn't say every once in a while, quite often you see animals that, especially dogs, become very protective and they will uh, back up against their owners. They will start growling, sometimes even barking, as if there's an intruder there that they want to protect you from. So a lot of times you watch the activity of animals and that will tell you a lot of what's going on there. It sounds like you've had possibly a spirit attachment because you talk about when the foot grabbing would happen at your home. And then later on in life, you would get married and you would, I assume, move into another home and it would continue on there. And then you're at your boyfriend's house and it would continue there. And on top of that, the activity, the other activity, as far as you feeling like somebody's following you, things like that. It sounds like you might have a spirit attachment. It also uh, sounds like you have been through so much in your life that it is very possible that you are much more sensitive than most other people because, again, it's like anything else. Repetition causes sensitivity to it. You're able to recognize things going on around you that maybe other people don't recognize. And, you know, that makes you understandably on edge. I wouldn't worry about complaining that oh well, I'm supposed to be this tough person because I'm a combat veteran you know as a veteran myself I can tell you that you still get scared it's still the kind of thing that uh, puts you on edge so don't worry about that just be honest with yourself and be honest with the way that you feel as far as solutions um, the first thing I would do is obviously tell the entity to go away the next time something happens literally speak to whatever might be there and tell it to go away and tell it that it is not welcome with you. A lot of times that is um, 
that's a very simple sounding solution, but a lot of times that works. Sometimes it doesn't, and if it doesn't work, then you've got something that is going to be a little tougher to get rid of, and you might need to get someone to work with you that specializes in spirit attachments. Uh, my advice would be, in your area, contact a reputable investigation team. And if you look on Facebook, there are literally hundreds of haunting investigation teams, some great, some not so great. But do some research on it, and I guarantee that you'll be able to find somebody in your area who is willing to help you out. They might not be able to help you directly, but a lot of times teams know folks that deal in these kind of specific things. I know when I did haunting investigations, we didn't just have the guys on our team, but we had other people that we networked with that dealt with aspects of hauntings that we didn't necessarily deal with at that moment. The biggest thing, though, in that case is, you know, as anything else, be cautious. Uh, Understand that there are varying degrees of good people and bad people out there. My biggest advice would be never, ever, ever give any access to yourself or give any money to anybody just up front. If somebody says that they're going to help you and the first thing they start doing is asking you for money, they're not there to help you. They're there to help themselves. So most folks in this field are doing this as a a joy to them, as a, a love for the subject and a real yearning to help people. And so they're doing it for free or Worst case scenario, they might say, hey, can you possibly, you know, get me dinner that night or something like that, which I've had happen. But um, most of the time, they're not going to have a charge. So be careful with that. If somebody starts asking you for money, they're probably not the kind of person you want to talk to and cut that conversation off quick. But my biggest advice would be to find people that you can talk to about it that are going to be there to support you, that know and understand exactly what's going on with you and that can offer you real advice and that can actually offer you support and help whenever you actually need it. So that being said, thank you very much, Amanda, for sending your story in. I hope that my little bit of comments helped you out where it could, and I appreciate the fact that you were willing to share that with us. Thanks a lot. Our last story of the evening comes from a listener named Becca. And she has shared it with us. She did not give it a name, but that's all right. You don't have to give it a name. I'm just glad you shared your story with us. Okay, Becca, let's see what you sent us. Growing up, I had a friend named Ashley. She lived three doors down from me. We rode the bus together, played basketball in the middle and high school teams together, traded books and clothes, played in the creek. You understand. She was my childhood friend, a good friend. In 1988, when we were 17, she was rushing to work at the local mall on a rainy day and hydroplaned. Her car crossed the median and was struck by an oncoming vehicle. Her neck was broken and she died within a few hours. Of course, I was devastated. I should preface this part of the story with this fact about me. I sleep through everything. I slept through an earthquake once. I slept through a tornado taking off the roof of the house next door once. Nothing wakes me up. But a couple of months after Ashley died, I was asleep and in this dream, Ashley was standing at the end of my bed. She wasn't saying anything in words, but she was smiling really big and I felt her message to me, if that makes any sense. She was thanking me and I felt an unbelievable amount of love and warmth. 
Then I thought, but you're dead. And then there's a ghost at the end of your bed. And I woke right up and sat straight up in the bed, fully expecting to see her standing there. I have since heard of other people describing stories like this one, but at the time I was too young to process it. My first daughter was born a year later when I was 18, and I named her after my friend. A couple of years after that, I was at college, and a bunch of us geeky accounting majors had a party. I only knew a couple of people, and none of them very well. No one at the party knew of my old friend Ashley. One girl pulled out a Ouija board. I had never played with one before, so I was interested. She said three of us needed to put two fingers from each hand on the planchette, and I did. I was really surprised when the planchette began moving. I described the movement as if it were being moved from above, not as though another person whose hands were on the planchette were pushing it. If that were the case, I would have been able to feel the movement coming from a direction across from me. The girl who owned the board began to ask questions, and the chaotic answers the board gave made her determine that this was a young, child ghost who was talking. She said we needed to see if we could contact someone else. She asked if anyone knew anyone who had died. I was still skeptical at this point, but also a couple of beers in and a game for whatever, so I just went with it. I said I'd had a friend named Ashley who had passed. She asked the child to go get Ashley. Then the planchette was still for a few moments. It made me wonder how far the child had to go to get Ashley. Was she in the next room? The next dimension? I was humored by this. It got loud at the party, and so the three of us in a small group who had gathered around to watch moved to a quieter room. What happened in that room changed my whole outlook on life, death, and the hereafter. Something coherent who knew the right answers to my questions communicated with us on that board. I asked, is this Ashley? And the planchette moved from above to why for yes. I asked, do you know what I named my daughter? And it answered, A-S-H-L-E-E. If someone in that room had been manipulating the planchette, it would have been pretty lucky for them to get the spelling right. This was 24 years ago, so I can't remember all the questions I asked, but the answers convinced me that I was speaking to Ashley. I know the last question I asked was, do you want me to do anything for you, or tell anybody anything for you? And the planchette moved to M-O-M. Okay. I said, you want me to tell your mom you are okay? And the planchette moved to Y. By the end of this, I and everyone in the room was crying. I had not had any contact with Ashley's mom in a long time at that point, and I wouldn't for another couple of years. I can't remember if I called her or if she called me, but after we spent a few minutes catching up, I asked her, Do you know anything about Ouija boards? She laughed and said, Yes, Ashley used to play with those sometimes. I wondered why I had not been invited to that. I used to get so jealous when she would play with other friends without me. You know how little girls are. I hesitated, but then began to tell Ashley's mom the story. And when I got to the part about what Ashley had told me to tell her, she started sobbing. I was horrified. I thought, 
What have I done? I have brought all this pain back into this poor woman's life. And I said, Oh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. She said, Wait, and I could hear she was trying to catch her breath. Wait, I want to tell you a story. When she had gathered herself up, she said, Shortly after Ashley died, probably a couple of months, I was walking from the living room into the kitchen and up around the ceiling I saw a green mist and I heard Ashley's voice. It said, Mom, I'm okay. Wow. Becca, that is incredible. I I have to tell you, that is possibly, no, probably, the most beautiful, heartwarming, haunting story I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, that was absolutely astounding. I am personally not a big proponent of Ouija boards. <laughs> Normally, I tell people do not use them. Uh, this sounds like an exception to that rule. The idea that your friend communicated through that with the same message that she had given her mom, that's just absolutely beautiful. That's, I mean, I've got goosebumps. That's incredible. Thank you, thank you, thank you so very much for sharing that with us. Well, guys, that's going to do it for this week's episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. I would like to thank Lynn and Amanda and Becca for sending in their stories to us. You guys are absolute rock stars, and we appreciate you to no end. That being said, if you would like to share your stories with us, check us out on Facebook at True Paranormal, the podcast. Hit that like button, and then there's an email button and a message button there. Just hit either one of those and go ahead and send us your stories. You could be part of one of our next broadcasts. Additionally, if you would like to support the podcast, we are now on iTunes, which is awesome. It only took me two and a half months to figure out how to get this thing on iTunes. And believe me when I tell you, it was a struggle. So at any rate, we're on iTunes now. So if you would hop on over to iTunes, if you use that platform and give us a rating, give us a review. That's how we move up in the standings. And the higher we move up in the standings, the more folks we can reach and the more folks we can help and the more stories we get to share. So yay, win all around. That would be awesome if you guys could do that. And I know I would appreciate it. In the meantime, I would like to thank all you guys for listening into us every week. Uh, if you have any questions, be sure to comment on whatever platform you hear our podcast on, and we'll be glad to get right back to you. Again, thanks for joining us and join us again next week for another episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. Mm-hmm.